Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Andy LePoe worked at InterVarsity Press for over 40 years, most of that time as associate publisher. He's the author of Write Better, in which he applies his decades of experience to practical questions of craft and art and writing, as well as the spiritual aspects of the writing life. In his blog, Andy Unedited, he explores the world of books and offers thoughts on writing, publishing, leadership, scholarship, editing, history, biblical studies, and life. Andy LePoe, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast. I appreciate you making time for me. Glad to be here. Uh, so when did your book, when did Write Better come out? Uh came out just about a year ago. So okay. yeah, September in 2019. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah it's been, been exactly 12 months now. Uh-huh. Um, and you've been blogging for what, 10 years now? 10, 15 years. Yeah, for quite a while. Yeah, I've been uh, running the blog, Andy Unedited. And uh, yeah, so it's my take on... Uh, the world of publishing, books I've been reading, how, things things that have to do with writing or just yeah. whatever else life throws at me. Once a week for 10 years? Yeah, yeah. I've been pretty much uh, once a week, you know, sometimes twice a week, sometimes twice a month, but, uh, but pretty yeah. much on average uh, every yeah. week. How do you keep the ideas flowing for, for 500 blog posts? Um, well, uh there's a, a couple things that I do. Uh, one, one is that I, I found that when I am in conversation with other people, that generates ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I just realized I need to stay in conversation with people, uh, whether it's in conversation through books I'm reading, but, but more often uh, direct conversations that I have with folks uh, either in person or going to uh, to hear somebody give a talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that those stimulate ideas in me because I find myself kind of responding internally uh, mm-hmm. with something that either I agree with that or I disagree with that, or it just kind of spins off a new idea that uh, the, the speaker or my conversation partner uh, isn't really focused on, but it, it, uh, it generates an associative idea for me. And so I just try to keep track of those things. Uh, and I've got to just... It's not very fancy. It's just a Word document. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, every time an idea comes, I throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that helps me. Yeah. So in your, you have a whole section in, um, in your book, Write Better, about, you know, generating ideas or, or creativity. Um, and I, I really found that a, a very helpful couple of chapters. Um, and I, one thing I, I hadn't given much thought to before was the the role of physical exercise in in creativity. Um, and and you had some you quoted some or cited some you know, scientific research. Um, I think you said like the the one thing that that um, that was sort of um, that every every the one factor that yeah. people who were you know, generative shared was, was, uh, physical exercise. Uh, yeah. Some study. Uh, we are, we are whole people, you know, I mean, we are body, 
soul and spirit and uh, mind and emotions, yeah. and we're all integrated uh, into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every part of us affects the other. Uh, you know, if we get sick, that affects our emotions, you know, yeah. and if we, and if we get, become sad or depressed, mm-hmm. that can affect us physically. Uh, yeah. So it goes both ways. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have found that uh, in my own personal life, that when I'm exercising, I uh, just, my, my mind works better. Uh, and not that it works so well all the time, but, but it works better than it would if I, if I weren't. And so, yeah, for 30 years I would, I would run, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, three, four times a week. Uh, my knees are bad now, uh, after 30 Uh years, they've finally given out, but I bike, I, I go biking Mm -hmm. or I'll take a walk for 45 minutes. Uh, and that I think has been uh, very important in helping me stay focused. And and yeah, and in the book, Write Better, I, I tell the story about Bobby Fischer, the the international uh, chess grandmaster. Uh, and one of his innovations was that he would exercise uh, <laughs> regularly. He'd play tennis, he'd lift weights, he'd do all of this stuff. And gr- grandmasters just did not do that. They yeah. sat in their chairs and looked at chess boards. Uh-huh. Uh, but he during a tournament, he would take time off, get away, and exercise. And what that allowed him to do was to stay really focused, hyper alert through a four and five hour chess match, which mm-hmm. is physically very demanding, very, yeah. very draining. And so he was sharp at the end of a match uh, where his uh, opponent would be lagging in energy and mm-hmm. he would take advantage of that and he'd uh, win games that most people would be aiming for a draw at that point. So, Interesting. And yes, there's physical, uh, I mean, there's scientific research that uh, physical exercise actually helps create uh, new neurons in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it has a, a very physical impact on your brain as well. Uh, yes, thank you. you but that's, I, I could put my finger on what you, the, the one thing that we know grows neurons, new, new neurons for adults is exercise. Right. That's exercise. Yeah. Scientists used to think that, uh, you you know, you're kind of born with a certain set of neurons and that's it for life. Uh, But no, it's uh, it's been been shown in the last 20 years that uh, exercise actually can uh, do that Mm -hmm. uh, when people thought before that it was a a static uh, factor in life. Yeah. By the way, when you when you do um, exercise, when you get on your bike. Do you uh, listen to podcasts and books on tape, or are you, is it silence? No, I don't. Um, I've, I've thought about that, and I know a lot of people do. Uh, mm-hmm. They uh, And I do listen to podcasts, and I do books on tape and uh, audiobooks yeah. and, and, and so forth. I do that, but mostly when I drive. Yeah. Uh, but I don't do that uh, when I'm exercising. I uh, what I find is it actually helps me. It gives me opportunity for my brain to, to go in other directions. Yeah. And yeah. there've been times when idea will occur to me and I'll kind of write a blog, for example, uh-huh. in my head, uh, yeah. because an idea kind of struck me and, and, uh, and while podcasts and, and, and books are obviously good, good fodder for new ideas and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and creativity, uh, I find it, it's, it gives me some mental space and uh, a little bit of an open area so that my brain can, uh, can be functioning and uh, thinking about other things besides yeah. always having input. I've got time to kind of organize mm-hmm. and, and, and mull through new, 
new things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always glad when I do exercise without listening to anything, but because as you said, I process and, and make make connections, make progress on whatever I'm thinking about or working on. And sure. and yet I find that I rarely will actually go do it if I don't reward myself with a, with a book on tape or you know, an audio book or a or a podcast yeah. or something. You know, I, I I've I've kind of I associate those things. If I'm gonna exercise and I get to listen to something. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, exercise should be a no guilt activity, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, and you shouldn't feel, you know, make it even harder. You know, I actually <laughs> like it because I feel like I'm more in touch with the wind and the sunshine and the trees, and I'm yeah, and I'm uh, you know, I have a more of a sense of being outside, uh, and I like that. But if it, if if listening to something helps you exercise, by all means, listen yeah. to something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't mean uh, for this conversation to turn into a conversation about exercise, but I especially in that in the section on, you know, creativity in your book, that was the that was one thing that really stood out to me as something I'd yeah, given yeah. a lot of thought to. I mean, you know, I knew in general right. it's good to sort of be crisp. It makes you a little, you know, I, I know it's good to exercise, but but that research about the neurons was especially interesting to me. Right. Um. But I, want, I also want to talk about voice because that's something else you talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. You know, voice is so important. You know, developing a, a, a voice or, or getting in touch with your voice is so important uh, for writers. And I know, I mean, you know, when I when I talk to editors or or hear people who have talked about editors, I mean, who've talked to editors, you know, a, a recurring theme is something editors are looking for is a unique voice. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next question is, where do you get a unique voice? Um, right. And uh, I'd like to hear some of you. I mean, you've you've been uh, editing for a long time. Um, for her, yeah, I've been an editor for over forty years. Yeah. Forty years. Wow. Have you been yeah. at University Press that whole time? Uh, yeah, my professional career, uh, yeah. I was uh, at University Press. Although I retired uh, about four and a half years ago, you so know, I've okay. been. I'm, I'm sorry, freelancing since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so uh, what do you mean when, when you talk about a unique voice? What, what are you, what is it that you're listening for? Well, I, I, there's, there's a, a, a positive and a negative, uh, if you will, uh, uh, aspect to it. The, the positive side is I think readers uh, can get hung up on trying to sound like somebody else yeah. and that, that can kind of constrict them and uh, and keep them from from writing because they they feel they can't do it very well or they can't do it right or the way they want to and uh, maybe somebody they admire uh, or like and, and mm-hmm. they're trying to sound like somebody else for whatever reason yeah. uh, uh, you know maybe they're trying to sound academic uh, and sophisticated and they're having right. trouble doing that or maybe they're having trouble sounding casual and uh, <laughs> but they're trying to do that. And they yeah. can't do it. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you, we shouldn't, we, generally, we should not try to imitate another writer because uh, we're going to do a bad job of it, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, we're just not going to do as good a job as, as, as the person we're trying to imitate. We should just try to relax and be ourselves, sound like ourselves, and whatever that is, that's fine. We should, but we should try to learn from other writers. We should try mm-hmm. to observe what are they doing that's working. Uh, how did they use that metaphor? Uh, how did they organize the material so that it was so dramatic? Um, or uh, how did they use humor? 
those kinds of things we should learn from, but then do it the way that we're comfortable with or that makes sense for us. Yeah. So I think in terms of voice, uh, you know, I don't want writers to get uptight about it. I, I just want I just want writers to to relax and yeah. not feel that their seventh grade English teacher is leaning over their shoulder and trying to make them write a certain way yeah. uh, or or whatever. Uh, they should just just write and relax. Uh, and, and that's that's the key uh, in that regard. Um, yeah, I think, on the other hand, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, right, voice, like so many other issues of writing, I, I, I feel like a lot of times it's a matter of sort of like clearing, clearing the desk. All these things you've accumulated that you thought you're supposed to do this, you thought you're supposed to sound like that. You know, I, I teach writing a, a good bit, and, and I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is just helping people sort of clear the desk or scrape the barnacles off the, I don't know what, what the right you know, metaphor is, but, but basically saying there's something under there that's you, that's your voice. Which right. you know may need some development, but but yeah. you need to know what you're you know you need to be able to distinguish between you and all these accretions that have that have accreted you know yes. on on your voice yeah. and um, absolutely absolutely yeah writers uh, and 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 I include myself here uh, we all have this tendency to have these layers of expectations thrown on us in terms of what good writing means. And a lot of that is what we learned in school that we have to unlearn uh, mm-hmm. and just, just relax. Like uh, uh, you, uh, you, you can't write an, an incomplete sentence, you know, that a mm-hmm. sentence fragment is illegal or starting a sentence with a conjunction is illegal. Don't do that. And so we've got all these rules in our heads you know, we just need to relax and, and just write and forget about that stuff. Go back and fix it later if we need to or want to, but but not when we're drafting. Um, yeah. At the same time, you know, I said there was a positive and a negative on 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 voice. Uh, so the, the 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 flip side of it is, I think we can get too focused on voice, too mm-hmm. uh, uh, obsessed with oh, I've got to have my own particular unique voice and. Uh, that's not the issue. The issue is relaxing and being yourself. Uh, and if voice comes, that's great. That's fine. Yeah. But don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. Voice is not the ultimate goal for a writer. I think uh, writing, uh, writing for others, writing mm-hmm. that others may flourish, uh, writing to find or to explore uh, goodness, truth, and beauty, yeah. Those, that's the ultimate goal for writing and voice is just, it's a tool. It's a, it's a, it's a pathway that can help get you there. And if it's a problem, then lay it aside and don't, don't worry about it uh, because that's not what, what your primary focus is. Yeah. The more you, the more you're thinking about voice, the less of your authentic voice is, is coming out. I should think as, as you, as you're composing. Yeah. You become too self-conscious. Yeah. yeah, and and then it and then it looks forced, you know, or mm-hmm. stilted, or, um, or, or yeah, or not actually who you are. And we know this so in uh, in real life, in real conversation, when somebody's thinking about, you know, the their self presentation, they begin to sound like something besides themselves, right? They, yeah, they become a curated yeah. version of themselves that doesn't feel like their their real selves. And so, uh, at a dinner party, as people get a little self-forgetful, then they start to sound like themselves. Their, their real voice yeah. 
comes out. So in the in your chapter on voice, you um, you bring up T.S. Eliot uh, and T.S. Eliot's um, essay, and now, now I can't remember the name of the essay, but but about tradition and um, and yes. I'm. I want to talk about that a little bit because I mean, our tradition, I mean, the, the, we're, I don't care how individual you are. You are still coming out of a tradition. You're the tradition you're coming out of the things you've read, the things you have familiarized yourself with shapes who you are and therefore shapes your voice. So I'd like to hear you talk about you know, why you even brought up tradition in a chapter about voice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. T.S. Eliot, the, the poet, uh, from the from the last century, uh, he wrote a number of essays as well on uh, literature and literary criticism. And one of his most famous was this one on tradition and the individual talent. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there he says, <laughs> kind of counterintuitively, that uh, you're not going to be unique. You're not. You're building on the past. Every writer yeah. builds on the past. Builds on the tradition. And he was, of course, thinking of. Uh, the Western literary European tradition, but uh, but whatever your tradition is, you're building on a tradition, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going to be totally you. It's not going to be totally fresh. Nothing is ever completely unique, uh, and uh, and and we need to recognize that we're building on what has come before us, give thanks for that, and and move forward. And he says what the artist does or what a writer does is try to make a contribution to the tradition, try to add to it or give it a little twist or yeah. uh, help us see it in a slightly different perspective uh, or combine things that haven't been combined before in the tradition but uh, but help us move forward and see things afresh. Uh, the so the purpose is not to be totally unique, totally uh, new individual, but to build on uh, what has come before us. I think that's really freeing, right? To say, and, and, and the, the truth is, if you just, it only takes one or two unusual ideas to, to make a whole thing feel like it's unique. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it, the truth is, if your whole thing was unique, it would just feel nonsensical. Right? Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Harry Potter, you know, there, there is so much there that she's building on yeah. a huge, huge treasure trove of tradition and yeah. old stories and motifs and images yeah. that she's building together. But she gives this nice little twist about a train that goes off to this kind of imaginary yeah. school somewhere in northern yeah. england uh and uh and all of a sudden we've got a got a new fresh fresh story but it's it's just saturated with yeah tradition. yeah no I, I love that example i mean that that feels like a really fresh unique story and as you said it is it you know you got this this iceberg worth of tradition you know of reworking other things and uh, and it just really doesn't take that much unique stuff to feel really fresh and unique and, and you you do talk in this book a good bit about the idea that that creativity is a matter of of putting together things that we don't normally put together but but there's the the raw yes. material is all you know we're not creating ex nihilo right I mean, we're, we're just That's recombining exactly right. things yeah, creativity is combining two things 
that already exist, but that haven't been combined before or haven't been combined in a in a particular way before. That's creativity. Uh, and it to, to me, that demystifies mm-hmm. creativity, which can seem so magical and mystical, uh, but it's it's really a very concrete kind of thing that happens, a transaction that happens. And so the way we can increase our creativity is by making sure we are increasing the uh, number of different kinds of ideas and associations and experiences uh, and facts that are uh, part of uh, our our learning, part of our mm-hmm. living. Uh, mm-hmm. The more we, the more input we have, then the more opportunity we have for combining things that haven't been combined before. Yeah, yeah. This, the good news is we all have seen a different. You know, the the things I've seen are different from the things you've you've seen. Whether you are. <laughs> smarter than me or more creative than me or whatever. It doesn't matter. I, just the things I've seen are just different from the things you've seen. And as right. I offer so up all those things to the world, they are almost by definition unique. Yeah, right. We, we all have a different uh, set of, uh, uh, of experiences and information and learning that uh, is different than anybody else's. And so, yeah, we, we have the opportunity to do something creative that somebody hasn't done before. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, uh, moving on to it, to another topic that, um, that you talk about in your book, you know, I spend a lot of time when I'm talking to writers, I emphasize the importance of self forgetfulness, you know, that, that somehow when you can quit thinking about yourself, you then step into, you know, you start doing the interesting work that you were, you know, really hoping you would, you would do. Um, and, and yet, you you say something that I don't, I, I don't think these things are contradictory. Uh, so I, I want to talk through them. You say that all writing is autobiography, right? Um, right. And um, what do you mean? Can you talk about what you mean by that? And is that is that different from me saying try to be self forgetful, or is it is it are these things consonant? Yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think both things are true, uh, and we have to hold them in tension. When I say all writing is autobiographical, I, 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 it's, I know I'm exaggerating sure. uh, a little bit. But, but basically, what we write comes out from ourselves. It comes out mm-hmm. from what we have learned, from our own experiences, from our imagination. Uh, it comes from within. Uh, and, and so it has something to do with us, uh, mm-hmm. one way or another. You know, even if we are uh, uh, creating a, uh, a sewing machine repair manual. Well, it's about our experience of repairing sewing machines or building sewing machines or taking them apart or using them, whatever. It comes out of our autobiographical experience at some level. Yeah. Uh, and so everything we write uh, is autobiographical, has that origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing is, of course, a very solitary experience. We normally do it in chunks by ourselves. Uh, yeah. Other people come into the process at various points, but but a lot of it is on our own. And so that makes it a very solitary, self-focused experience. Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, given that that is the context of writing, that it's autobiographical, we're doing it by ourselves, we're on our own, 
that means then <laughs> there comes a point where yes, we have to kind of like unload all that, forget all that, and and try to get beyond it and uh, and let uh, the story carry us or let the mm-hmm. ideas carry us so that we can uh, move forward with those and not be uh, so focused on what's going on inside of our own person, which can of course inhibit the writing process. Yeah. It's yeah. I think that. Uh, to me, the way that these two ideas fit together that seem contradictory is given the fact that, that all writing is autobiographical, you know, take that as a given and now, you know, focus your attention on what's outside yourself. But again, I, we've touched on this already. The, the fact that it's, that there's something coming that, that my, I'm bringing my whole self to this. And my experiences, which are different from your experiences and everybody else's experiences, um, there's a there's a real um, comfort slash confidence in knowing, you know, that that this is all that I don't have to, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't create some superhuman effort to be creative, interesting, unique, because, because my experience is unique and specific. Um, and therefore it's like, it's almost like I, I have to, uh, depending on where I am in the process, do I need to remember that this is a, this is autobiographical or do I need to pay more attention to forgetting about myself? And as I sort of learn to sort of move back and forth between those, those two poles, good things start to happen. Right. Uh, Exactly. So. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Um, and you also have, so, so kind of what we're in, in some ways, what we're talking about when I, I mentioned uh, confidence um, and, and, you know, trusting my own, what's going on inside me as, as uh, a writer um, that does bump up against the idea of humility, right? Um, you know, when we think of confidence and humility, you know, we think of those things together. And and I know you touch right. on humility in in, uh, in write better. So, what's the role of humility yeah. in the writer's life? Yeah, humility, confidence, pride, self forgetfulness, <laughs> uh, all of these things kind of swirl together in a in a writer, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I, it, it is, it's again, because writing is autobiographical and it's done alone, it's hard for us to get out of that. Um, I think confidence uh, can come from experience Mm -hmm. uh, where we see what works and what doesn't. We keep trying Mm -hmm. uh, and we, and we begin to learn just because people respond positively uh, when in a certain way. And that's, and that gives us helps, gives us courage to keep writing, to keep uh, trying to put things out uh, for others uh, to read and appreciate. Um, humility comes from we've always got something to learn. Uh, and there's no shame in that. There's no shame in learning things. I, uh, one of the joys of my existence is to be a lifelong learner. I love learning things. I love not just learning information, but I love learning how, how to do things or how to think about things. Um, uh, I, I love learning and, uh, uh, and so those kinds of things, are, again, are ways to help us get out, uh, from ourselves, from, from being so completely inwardly focused. 
I love C.S. Lewis's definition of humility being uh, someone who has designed the uh, most beautiful cathedral in the whole world and is as glad about that cathedral as if someone else had done it. Yeah. Or would be as glad about that cathedral yeah. if someone else right. had done it. Uh, that's that's a really positive, upbeat uh, way to look at uh, humility. I think. And, yeah, and, no, that's that is great. I love it. Better. So that's a hard place to get to. It is. It is. Um, and I I think that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of little tricks that every writer, I think, tries to, to use to, to try to get there. One of the things I try to do is um, I try to think of writing as my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not uh, the ultimate expression of my self-identity or, or something, you know, that's laden with emotion. Uh, it's just I try to take the emotion out of it and just think, nope, I've got a job to do. I've got to produce X number of words by such and such a date uh, and get them out there. And they're for yeah. somebody else. They're not for me. They're for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've got a boss that says, uh, this is what's needed. And I do it. Yeah. Uh, and that, and thinking of writing as my job, uh, even if I, even if I'm not getting paid for it uh, <laughs> uh, directly, uh, it just, it just helps take the emotion out of it. Take the, take the, the, the about me issue out of it. Yeah. Uh, and and helps me to to move forward yeah. because I'm writing for somebody else. I'm not yeah. writing for me. I'm writing for somebody else. Yes, I'm writing for me, of course, sure. Yeah. But but if I can trick myself into thinking, <laughs> as it were, that I'm writing for somebody else, which I really am. I mean, it's not just a trick. It really is part, truly part of the process. Uh, it's for their benefit so that they can flourish or that they can accomplish what they want to. Uh, then it takes me out of the equation at least somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Um, the that the you know, I think that that idea of how would I feel about this if somebody else wrote it or made it, you know, uh, is is so incredibly helpful. For one thing, it's helpful in that that question of kill your darlings. How do you know what? How do you know which darlings to kill as a writer? Well, <laughs> right. you know, the question is. I love, why do I love this sentence that I just wrote? Do I love it because I like the way it makes me feel about myself or the way it's going to present me to somebody else? And if somebody else wrote it, what would I think? Would I think this person is being self-indulgent or this person is being <laughs> irrelevant? Um, but, but if I read that sentence and go, I would love that sentence if somebody else wrote it, then don't kill that darling. <laughs> Keep that, that darling belong. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 I think most writers are are, are like that. That, that they <laughs> when they read something that they really like, it's just like, man, isn't that good? Ooh, yeah. wow! Yeah, that, that sentence works. You know, that yep. paragraph sings. Uh, and so, yeah, let's rejoice in that. And yeah. and if that happens, come from your pen or from typing your on the on the keyboard. Yeah, it's just as much fun. Yeah. Now, everybody who's, who's, who tells the truth beautifully is, is an ally, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a great way to put it. All right, I have a next-to-last question for you uh, because I've got, yeah. I, used, I have the same last question every time, but this is my, this is my penultimate question. And it's, okay. Um, always, I'm always interested in hearing from editors. How do you, 
help a help a writer. I mean, this this may be just too big of a question, but um, how do you help a writer um, be their best without you hijacking their work? Right. I mean, hmm. how yeah. do you help them be better without it suddenly becoming Andy LePoe instead of that yeah. writer? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Forgive I actually, I think I tended to. No, 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 no. I think I tended to do that when I was a, a new editor, a young mm-hmm. editor. I think I tended to make everybody sound like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it, took, it took me a while. I mean, I had my mentors who were editors mm-hmm. say, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I still had the tendency. Uh, yeah. you know, so I was guided in the, in, in the right way, but, uh, but it's hard to, to overcome that, that desire. But I think, yes, um, uh, one thing that's helped me is I, I think of my job as posing questions to the author. And it's the author's job to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once I've posed the question, I've done my job. Hmm. Uh, I'm done, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the sense that uh, my my responsibility is to raise the question, make sure the author's thought about it from all angles, uh-huh. uh, is aware of the repercussions of doing it this way or that way, but then it's the author's choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I guide, but I try to also uh, give, give freedom uh, to the authors to, uh, to, to do it the way they want. Um, uh, so I will be uh, an advocate for the reader to the author. Yeah. So if I feel like the author is being unclear or misleading or uh, is going uh, is in some way could throw the reader off, I try to be an advocate um for the reader. Yeah. Uh, to the author. But then once I've pointed that out, it's up to the author to decide whether or not they want to fix it uh, uh or not. The other thing to keep in mind is there's a difference at least in in uh, with a book editor uh, or in a, if it's in a book publishing or a magazine publishing, blog publishing process, uh, a website. Um, and that is before acceptance and after acceptance, there's mm-hmm. two different things going on. Yeah. Before a book is accepted for publication, I can say, well, we could do, we could publish the book if you do it this way. But mm-hmm. if you do it, the other way, we can't do it. So it's up to you. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's your choice. Do you want to publish it with us or not? If you do, let's do it plan A. If you're really committed to plan B, that's fine. But do it plan B. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so even there, I'm giving the, 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 mm-hmm. the author a choice. Um, but, uh, but then after the, the contract's been signed, they say, hey, we're going to do this book. Uh, then, then much more uh, authority I feel goes to the author, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or should, as long as the as long as the author is listening to the editor mm-hmm. and really taking seriously the advice that's being given, which I think all authors should do, <laughs> even though it's ultimately their choice. I think they need to give serious attention to what an editor says. Uh, some authors will tell me, "Yeah, an editor's right ninety percent of the time." Or they'll tell me, oh, editors are right 50% of the time. Or they'll say, well, editors are right 20% of the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. They have different different uh, gauges for and maybe different experiences. Uh, yeah. 
But yeah. I think we're, whatever percentage uh, an author thinks an editor is right, it is to their benefit to always take the input seriously. Sure. Yeah. Um, I love that idea of the editor being an advocate for the reader to the writer. That's a that's an excellent answer to my question. Okay, last question, Andy. Sure. Who are the writers that make you want to write? There's there's writers I like. <laughs> there's writers right. I enjoy that uh, that uh, r- r- get my juices going. Um, and uh, you know, I suppose every once in a while I say, "Yeah, man, um, I'd like to do it like that." But uh, but again, I try to do it whatever works for me. But, uh, you know, uh, among contemporary writers, I, I like David Brooks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, I mean, in ways, he's, he's not the best writer in the world, but he's a good writer and he's always got good ideas. Yeah. Uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, week after week. Andy I don't know Crow, how he does it. Yeah, week after week, he does it in his columns. His books are good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. I like his stuff as mm-hmm. well. He really, really uh, knows how to spin a story and, and draw out some rather profound things from mm-hmm. his, uh, his journalistic efforts. He's a journalist in the very, very, very best sense um, uh, and a storyteller, uh, but mm-hmm. he's always got uh, a, a deeper level uh, in terms of what's, what does it mean to be human that's kind of yeah. going on underneath mm-hmm his work. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, those are, those are a couple of people uh, in terms of fiction. Um, there's, uh, a, a couple books, one book I've read years ago that I still just admire so much, uh, by Mary Doria Russell called the Sparrow. Huh. I don't um, know that book. And it's, it's, uh, I, almost never reread a book. I read it once and mm-hmm. that's great. Um, this book I've, I, I've read three times. I'd gladly read, a, read it a fourth. Yeah, uh, really? It's a fabulous book, The Sparrow. Um, it, it's uh, um, the, the characters are so well drawn. It's like, mm-hmm. man, I would love to spend a year with these people. You know, <laughs> let's... <laughs> These are such great people. I'd like to spend a lot of time with them. Um, but also very profound uh, theological implications to the storyline. When was this uh, book written? Oh, I, probably 20 years ago uh-huh. uh, is my guess. It's got the most unlikely uh, premise, but it works. I mean, she yeah. is a master. She's just a master. Well, you have inspired me. I want to go find this book and read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, and, since uh, we've been uh, talking, a Kindle got dropped off on my doorstep. I've never had a Kindle before, and now oh, I have one. Okay. So maybe I'll uh, get the sparrow yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's terrific, uh, challenging, but terrific, uh-huh. and very uh-huh. readable. Right. Um, and, and another, but a more recent book is Amor uh, Toll's book, uh, "Gentlemen in Moscow." Isn't that a great book? It is, uh, you know, so I just thoroughly enjoyed it all the yeah. way through. Yeah. And uh, again, the characters are terrific. Uh, I guess I'm more, you know, character driven books mm-hmm. are, are uh, more to my taste than purely yeah. plot driven. Both books have a very adequate plot uh-huh. uh, in my mind, mm-hmm. um, though probably uh, 
the gentleman in Moscow, maybe a little bit less than the sparrow. But right. nonetheless, both of them are just very delightful. And again, they both really, they all touch this deep issue of what does it mean to be human? And, 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 and what, who should we be in extreme circumstances? Mm-hmm. Both, both books deal with that question. Yeah. Uh, because the extreme circumstances often reveal who we really are. Um, so yeah, those are those are some authors and books that I uh, yeah really get well, great. You can tell I guess just uh, the way yeah, I'm talking right. about them, they really get my juices going. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy Lepoe, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast. It's uh, it's great to meet you, and I hope we can talk again. Jared, soon. it's been uh, good to talk with you and to meet you as well. Thank you very All much. Right. See you later. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.